It is such a joy this morning to uh, welcome and introduce uh, Reverend Chuck Phillips. Now, you may know him better as just Chuck or Chuck and Waima. The reason is in uh, their ministry that they are now back in the United States from and, and retiring from before moving on to other ministry. In their ministry with Mission to the World, they've been in a, uh, a secure uh, area in terms of um, there being sensitivity and not giving last names. That was for the protection of those that they work with as well as uh, for Chuck and Waima. So we're, we're glad to have them here. I have known Chuck uh, since even in my previous church I knew him. And then in 2007 uh, they came here and we began supporting them uh, in their ministry. Uh, Chuck uh, was a pastor for 14 years uh, before he was called to uh, the mission field and he left for the field at age 55 and he learned uh, another language and ministered to people who speak Farsi. So um, it's such a privilege as we bring him today we're welcoming him and I am personally uh, not only as a fellow minister and as one of our global partners, uh, but also as a friend. So, Chuck, welcome. God bless. Thank you so much, Brother Dale. I did go to the mission field when I was 55. I tell people I finally decided what I wanted to do when I grew up. We have come home. I'm still trying to decide what am I going to do when I grow up. It is just a delight and a pleasure to be with you. I think the last time I was here was 2017, four years ago. A lot has happened in those four years. Uh, we went back to serve in England and in those four years, I had two open heart surgeries, and I was hit with numerous infections and was in the hospital numerous times. And I just want to thank you as a congregation for you, your prayers for me. I've been infection-free for a year and a half. And I stand before you as an answer to prayer, our prayers, and your prayers as well. You know, I want to tell you, it is, it is a wonderful thing when you're in the hospital and they haven't quite figured out what is wrong with you and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're on your back and you remember, people are praying for me. God's people are praying for me. That was an incredible comfort to us to know that God's people were praying for us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your support over the years. Thank you for being such good friends. You've sent teams to us in England. Uh, you've kept in touch with us. 
we've had numerous people from St. Andrews come over and visit with us, and we've had wonderful times. I remember once taking a group in Oxford. I'd rented a van to take a group from St. Andrews, and this was a fun-loving bunch, let me tell you. I knew the goal of this group of people was to have more fun than Presbyterians ought to have. <laughs> anyway, we had a great time, but thank you for your gifts. Thank you for sending people, and thank you so much for your prayers and friendship. And St. Andrews will always have a warm, warm place in our hearts. We may not be on the mission field anymore, but you probably haven't seen the last of us. We will certainly have to come back and visit and uh, have fellowship with you. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles or whatever device you use to look at the scripture to Luke chapter 16. This is the parable of the dishonest manager. If you're like me and you grew up on the King James, you knew this as the parable of the unjust steward. You know, I think I've only heard in all of my Christian life, over 50 years, I think I've only heard one sermon on this. It's rarely preached on, to my knowledge. And I believe one of the reasons is it presents a little problem. You know, the main character here is this unjust, this dishonest business manager. And in the, and in the parable, he's commended. That brings up the question is, how could Jesus commend someone like this who is unjust and dishonest? Let me read God's word to you. Please follow along. This is Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Hear God's word. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to him, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm, too, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from the management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first one, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into everlasting dwellings. Let's bow for another word of prayer before we look at this scripture. 
Father, we thank you for these words of Jesus. We pray now for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he moved holy prophets and apostles to write your word. And now we pray for his ministry, illumining your word to our hearts and minds. Father, we just pray today that you would show each one of us the personal application of these words of Jesus for our hearts and lives. Lord, we need your spirit. We need your grace. We need you to work in us. And we cry to you and ask you to do this now as we look into your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, every morning when I get up, I start with a cup of coffee. I head straight for the coffee machine and make coffee. I don't know about you, but when, people, when someone my age, to get up in the mornings, I need coffee or dynamite or both. Anyway, so I sit down and I have my cup of coffee. And before I have my quiet time, I usually just pick up my smartphone. And I can look on the screen there and there's a little icon that says stocks. And so I hit it because I want to see what has happened to the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Has it gone up or has it gone down? Now, why would that be of such an interest to me? Why would I look at that every day? You know, by God's grace, we've been, we've been able to set aside some money for a retirement. But much of my retirement funds are in stocks. So if the stocks go up, that's good. I feel elated. But if they go down, oh, I feel bad. That's terrible. You know, the question for me is, have I prepared adequately for the future? And that is what we're going to talk about this morning preparing for the future but we're not talking about the 10 or 15 years or 20 years you might have of retirement we're talking about the future in eternity how do you prepare for the millions and millions of years of eternity well of course the first and the obvious way to prepare for eternity is what to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. But brothers and sisters, there's another way to prepare for eternity. And that's what, what we're going to look at today. You know, something that we can do, we want to talk about this morning, something that we can do right now in the present that will affect our experience in eternity and it has to do with our money the amazing thing that Jesus teaches right here in Luke 16 is this that you can use your money here and now in this life in a way that will ensure a wonderful welcome when you enter into eternity. A stunning truth. I want us to see four things this morning from this passage. Number one, I want us to see the plight of the dishonest manager. Number two, I want us to see the scheme of the dishonest manager. Number three, I want us to see the master's 
commendation of the dishonest manager. And number four, I want us to see Jesus' application of this parable. What would Jesus have us do in light of this teaching here? Number one, the plight of the dishonest manager. We're introduced to someone here called the manager. This is the biblical concept of a steward. What is a steward? A steward was someone in the ancient world who was the business manager. Here's a rich man. He has great estates. He has great agricultural holdings. The parable speaks here of great amounts of olive oil and wheat on it that his estate produced and sold. And so what was the steward? The steward was his person on the site as his representative, as the business manager. It seems from the parable that the owner of this estate lived at some distance. But you see, that wasn't a problem. Why? Because he had a man on the spot, his representative, someone that he had entrusted his entire estate to, someone he had entrusted his money to, and he trusted this man to use his estate, his money, his wealth, not for his own personal gain, but for the master's gain. This is the role of a steward. You know, I think it's important for us, brothers and sisters, to remember that you and I sustain exactly the same relationship to God, don't we? We are stewards, every one of us, of a heavenly master. And there's nothing that you and I have that we have on our own. It's been given to us, it's been entrusted to us by our heavenly master to use for him. Not primarily for our own gain, our own benefit, our own pleasure, but for him and for his honor and glory. We need to remember that. We are stewards of the heavenly master. But there's a problem with this steward. You know, this steward is accused in verse 1 of wasting his master's possession. But as we look on down into the parable, we discover that this means more than that he's just a poor businessman. He's a crook. He's dishonest. He's using his position for personal gain. In verse 8, he's called the dishonest manager. We're not told exactly how, but in some way, he's using this position to line his own pockets. You know, he didn't get away with it. The master heard what he was doing. The master was understandably upset. You know, this would be the equivalent today of an employer finding out that a trusted employee had embezzled thousands and thousands of dollars from him. So the man is called into his master. Obviously, he's guilty. There's no word of defense that he can make. There's nothing that he can say. It's an open and shut case. So the master says to his steward, to his manager, You cannot be manager any longer. You know, what is he saying to him? He's saying, buddy, hey, you are fired. You're out of here. You're history. You are unemployed. But there was one last thing that his master gave him to do as his steward. This is in verse 2. He said, 
turn in the accounts of your management. In other words, he's saying to him, close the books. Compute the money that you now owe me, the money that you've made from running my estate. You close the books. So he was called in to see his master. He had to give an account. You know, this is something else that you and I need to realize. Not only that you and I are stewards of a heavenly master, but that one day you and I will be called in to God's presence. When Jesus returns, or when we die, one day we will stand before Jesus and give an account. What is it? 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not a judgment to determine whether we get into heaven, but a judgment to determine our reward. And a question for you and me from Jesus in that day will be, what have you done with the resources that I have entrusted to you? Now let's get back to the parable. Do you see the plight of this man now that he knows he's going to be fired, now that he knows he's going to be unemployed? What kind of future does he have? One minute his future is rosy. One minute his future is secure. The next minute his future is dismal. It is bleak. He's going to be out on the street, out on his ear. What is he going to do? He says, I cannot dig. I've had a desk job all my life. He says, I'm too proud to beg. What can I do? And he comes up with a scheme to ensure him a comfortable future. And that brings us, this brings us to our second point. And that is number two, the scheme of the dishonest manager. Now he doesn't have much time, but he has a little time. Because remember, he's still the steward, the manager, while he closes the books. And this scheme is true to his character. This scheme is just as dishonest as his earlier use of his master's possessions. He says, while I've still got this job, while I can still act as steward, I'm going to go and see all of my master's debtors. These are businessmen who have bought agricultural commodities from the master's estate, and they bought them on credit, and they still owe money to the master for the agricultural commodities that they bought. And the steward says, hey, I'm going to fix the books. For each of these debtors, I'm going to show them owing less than they actually owe my master. So to one debtor, he says, you don't have to pay me for the 800 gallons of olive oil. Just pay me for 400. I'll forget 400 gallons. We'll just call it 400. To another debtor, he says, you don't have to pay me for the 1,000 bushels of wheat. Just make it 800. We'll just forget about 200 of the bushels of wheat. Do you see what he's doing? He's reducing their debt. Do you see what his scheme is? By doing this to each of his master's debtors, he is personally going to indebt himself to each one. So these, when, they, when he's out of a job, they will be obligated 
to take care of him and provide for him. And he could do this because he was still acting as the steward. So in this one last crooked act, he indebts himself to these men. You see what he's doing? He's preparing for his future. Now this brings us to something very surprising in the parable. And this is the third point. The master's commendation of the dishonest manager. The master learns of this scheme, just he has learned, just as he learned of the master's earlier dishonest scheme. How do you think that the master would respond this time? He's already learned once that this man has cheated him, and now he's discovered a second time that this man has cheated him by his dishonesty. How do you think he would respond? You would think he would, if he was angry the first time, hey, he would really be angry this time. But listen, and here's the big surprise. This is in in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager. So the big question is, what did he commend him for? Obviously, he didn't commend him for his dishonesty. But look again at the rest of verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. The point of the master's commendation was the shrewdness of this man. His shrewdness in preparing for his future, even though this man had done him wrong. Even though he had suffered from this man's dishonesty, the master had suffered financial loss because of this man. The master still could not help admiring the shrewdness of this man, his foresight in preparing for his future. Now the question is this. What is Jesus teaching? What is he teaching you and me from this parable? This brings us to the fourth point. Jesus' application of the parable. This begins in the second part of verse 8. Jesus said, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. What Jesus is saying here is that very often unbelievers are shrewder and wiser than believers. It's not that they're shrewder and wiser in spiritual things. If they were, they would be Christians. But unbelievers are shrewder and wiser in worldly things very often than Christians are in spiritual things. And where do we see this Superior wisdom in unbelievers in their preparation for the future. Unbelievers are wiser in preparing for their future in this life than believers are in preparing for their future in the next life. They are better in preparing for their retirement here on earth very often than you and I, you and I are in preparing for eternity in heaven. So here's the question. We still haven't answered yet. 
what is this preparation that Jesus said you and I should be doing if we are shrewd and wise? What is this preparation for eternity? You know, all Christians go to heaven by God's grace. But the experience of heaven will not be the same for all. Some will have rewards that others will not have. But what is this reward that Jesus is talking about? And how do we get it? Or in the language of this parable, how do we prepare for the future? He tells us in verse 9, and this is one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. Listen to verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. First of all, what is unrighteous wealth? Obviously, that is our money. He's saying here that your money can make friends for you. You know, I could take money. I could take a stack of $100 bills to downtown Columbia this afternoon and I could give it out. And guess what? Hey, I could make a lot of friends, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about friends here and now. He's talking about friends when your money fails. He's talking about friends in eternity. Making friends in eternity. Do you see what Jesus is teaching here? You can use your money here and now in a way that when you enter into eternity, you will have friends. So that when you die... They will welcome you to heaven. In other words, you can use your money now in a way that will determine your reception then. Let's get very specific now. How can you and I make friends in eternity that will welcome us into eternal dwellings? When you put your money in the Lord's work to advance his kingdom, you are making friends for eternity. When you give your money so that the gospel can go forth here and around the world, guess what? You are making friends for eternity. People who will welcome you into everlasting dwellings. Now when anyone is saved, God does it. It's his work. He regenerates the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gets the credit. He gets all the glory. But the scripture does teach that there is reward. Reward for those who will go and preach. And guess what? Reward for those who give so that they can go and preach. You know, here's what I believe, and maybe this is a little speculation. But I believe that when you give to pay the freight for the gospel, when you give that missionaries can go, that one day in heaven, someone will tell you, one of the reasons I'm here is because... 
you gave. What a reward. Do you want that, brothers and sisters? Can you think of anything more wonderful? You know, this is the time of year that you as a church think of your commitment to faith, missions, giving. And I want to ask you as you decide what amount you're going to give, I just want to ask you a few questions. Are you preparing for the future? I want to ask you where you have friends who will welcome you in that day into eternal dwellings. And I want to ask you, and this is a hard thing to say, it's a hard thing for me to think about, what will you and I say when Jesus says to us, what have you done with what I have entrusted to you? How have you used it? These are things to think about as you decide what you will do for faith missions giving here. You know, one of the greatest missionaries in the modern day mission movement was a man named C.T. Studd. I'm sure many of you have heard of him. He was born in 1860 in England. He was born into a very rich and wealthy family. His father had been a planter in uh, India and had made a great fortune. His father returned back to England to live out his life, to live out a life of ease and pleasure. And then D.L. Moody came to England, and C.T. Studd's father heard D.L. Moody preach, and his father was converted. And then several years later, C.T. Studd heard D.L. Moody preach, and he was converted. You know, it's very interesting, at the time, C.T. Studd, everyone knew C.T. Studd. He was absolutely famous because he was a sports idol. Not basketball, not baseball, not even football hyphen soccer. He was a famous, he was a sports idol because of cricket. Let me tell you, cricket is a weird game. I've lived in, in England 15 years and I still don't understand it. But he was a sports idol because of cricket. And when he was converted, he said, I'm going to go as a missionary to China. And lots of people thought, this man is crazy. He's got this great sports career before him. And he gives it all up to waste his life by going to China to become a missionary. So that is what he did. And while he was in China, his father died. He received a sizable inheritance. Something that today would be the equivalent of more than half a million dollars. And you know what he did? He gave it all away. He gave it to the cause of world missions. You know what he said? I'm putting my money in the bank of heaven. He was a man who realized if you keep your money, it can only benefit you 
in time. But if you give your money for the spread of the gospel, it will benefit others. And it will benefit you for all eternity. One question, brothers and sisters. Will you have friends to welcome you into eternity? Let's pray. Father, these are indeed solemn words of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace to sinners like us. And we need your grace to consider the truths that Jesus teaches. And we need your grace to obey. Forgive us for the selfish use of our resources in the past. And move us and prompt us in whatever time we have left. That we might give liberally to your work. And to the spread of the gospel. Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for your dear servants here, and I thank you for the ways that they have given in the past and for the way that they have liberally supported missions. And I pray that today and in these days to come, you'll continue to use them powerfully to that end. Thank you for what you will do, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.